We come to the conclusion of the book of Ruth this morning. It's uh, time to celebrate, not because we come to the end of Ruth, but all that we've been looking forward to in the day that Ruth and Boaz became husband and wife. And it pictures the relationship of Jesus with his bride, the church, in such a wonderful way. So we turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 13, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Abinadab, and to Abinadab was born Nashan, and to Nashan Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse. And to Jesse, David. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, time that we have this morning to praise you, to worship you. We thank you, Jesus, that you became our, our kinsman redeemer. You took on human flesh that you might call us to be your own. You chose us, Lord, to be your bride. And one day we will celebrate that, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb as we gather around your throne to worship with all the saints of all the ages in fellowship with you. Father, now we pray that you would take these words that you have given to us, apply them to our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The summer of my senior year after I graduated, I had the the privilege to play in an all-star game, the Lions all-star game, and it was the outstate. I was on the outstate team, and we played the, the Metro team, uh, best two out of three. And by the way, we beat them two out of three, even though the Metro team had Tim Laudner on their team, if you remember him from the, from the Twins catcher. But I was in the bullpen warming up to, to go on and pitch, game face on, of course, because that was a big event. And here comes my brother uh, walking down to the, the bullpen. It was at Midway Stadium where the Saints used to play. He comes walking down there, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to focus on the game and get all ready to go. And he walks up. He says, I'm getting married. I said, well, great. I'm about to pitch a game, okay? He was obviously excited, obviously wanted me to celebrate with him because, after all, when you get engaged, it's a time of celebration. Right, Phil? Where is uh, Sarah? 
She's working. She's bringing home the bacon so you can be at church. Time to celebrate, right? A wedding is a time to celebrate. And there are three ways in which we see this in our text this morning. Notice, first of all, that a wedding is a public celebration. A public celebration. There is so much time and work and money put into a wedding that sometimes I told, especially my daughters, because you know who pays for the wedding, told my daughters, why don't you just elope? I said, I'll just... I'll write out a check that would cover, you know, the cost of, of a wedding, and you can just take that money and and uh, go off and, and get and get married. None of them took my offer, and it's it's probably a good thing they didn't, because as you look at weddings in the Bible, they weren't uh, little private affairs. They weren't, you know, a couple eloping. They were public celebrations. At the end of chapter 3, it is very clear that Ruth and Boaz are hoping that one day they will, will be married. But as you remember, there was one thing that at least potentially stood in the way of their marriage. There was a closer relative than Boaz, who really was first in line to redeem the land and to take Ruth to be his wife. And so... That had to happen first. This man had to be given the opportunity to, to marry Ruth instead of Boaz. And Boaz gave him that, that opportunity. We find that in the first part of our text. Verse 1, let's just read that. Now Boaz went up to the gate of the city. That's where official business was done. And he sat down there. And then we find this word, behold... The close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And I think that word behold caused say, huh, this is interesting. May look like a coincidence, but obviously God was involved in this. And so Boaz says, uh, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And then it's interesting how Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, we don't know what his name was, the closest relative, he said, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. So... You want to buy the land? It's yours for the taking. Then Boaz said in verse 5, he adds a little detail here. Then he says, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The guy starts thinking, hmm, I'd like the land, but if it comes with a wife, I'm not sure about that. So he said in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, but I can't redeem it. Now, there's an interesting custom here. Verse 7, though this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal. 
and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So he had to take off his sandal and, and give it to, to Boaz. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. They were the sons of Naomi that died. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And then verse 11, all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Now, why did I read all that? You think, well, that's kind of boring. I mean, what, what do we learn from that? Well, there's something important we learn. If you look at how Boaz ended up marrying Ruth, you see that he did it publicly. He went to the city gate where official business was conducted. He gathered together ten of the elders of the city to witness the event. And when the proceedings were done, he asked them to acknowledge that this was a legal transaction. And then all the people who were there asked the Lord to bless this new relationship between Boaz and Ruth. So they didn't elope. Their wedding was a public event, a public celebration. Now, we obviously don't conduct weddings exactly like this in our day today, but there are some, I would say, important similarities. As people who believe that God has established the state as well as the church and the home, we conduct our weddings in accordance with the laws of the land. We file a marriage license with the state, and it's legally binding. And people are chosen to sign the marriage license. Some of you are probably, how many of you are witnesses at a wedding and had to sign a, an official document? Okay? I've signed many of them as a pastor. Makes it an, an, an official, legal, public event. And we invite people to our wedding, not just to feed them, although that is a good thing. We invite them so that they can rejoice in what God has done to bring us together and then to pray that God will bless our marriage. And so there's a lot of parallels here we see between the wedding of Ruth and Boaz, our weddings today. And we realize that as a couple stands before God and vows their life together, others are there to witness that, to rejoice in that, and to pray for them. And maybe that's the most important part, isn't it? But we invite people to come to our wedding. Why? Because we recognize that we need help. We need prayer support. Would you pray with us and rejoice with us in what God is doing? I remember many years ago, just after I began my ministry out in North Dakota, I got a call on, on, on New Year's Day. And this guy says, hello, you know, this is Fred or whatever his name was. He says, I was wondering if, if you could marry my girlfriend and I. I said, well, I'd be happy to sit down and visit with you. He said, no, today. I said, today. 
Yeah, today. He said, you know, we've been living together for about eight years now, and we thought, what better way to start off the year than to be married on New Year's Day? I said, you know, I don't think that'll work. Number one, you need to have a marriage license. Oh, we need one of those? I said, yeah, you need one of those. I said, I'd like to sit down and visit with you and counsel with you. I don't marry anybody unless I visit with them first and talk about marriage and so forth. Oh, really? He said, do you know anybody that would marry us today? And I said, no, not the pastors I know. I said, You'd have, you wouldn't even be able to legally get married that way. Oh, okay, well, bye. You hung up. My dad got a phone call one time about three in the morning. Um, a guy that knew our family from Upper Michigan. Uh, he was in a bar. And under the influence, and he said, uh, Herbie, he said, there's a girl here that wants to marry me. What should I do? My dad gave him pretty wise advice. He said, Johnny, why don't you wait until the morning? He said, she might look different then. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Well, we don't, we don't have weddings like that, do we? Uh, we recognize the, the value of a public celebration of two people vowing their lives to the Lord in accordance with the laws of the land. Um, that's what we, we see here. Now, this marriage relationship is really a beautiful picture of Jesus and his relationship to the church. Boaz needed to be a relative to marry Ruth. That was part of it. He needed to be able to pay the price because he had to purchase the land and Ruth came along with that. And he needed to be willing. The first one wasn't willing. And so when we think of of Christ's relationship to the church, those three things are true, aren't they? Jesus had to be related to us. Right? He had to take on human flesh. To be our Savior. Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook, partook of the same flesh and blood, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So the incarnation, God becoming man, had to take place in order for us to be saved. How could Jesus be our substitute if He was not fully human like we are? He had to be related to us. Indeed, he was. He took on human flesh. Jesus had to be able to redeem us. He had to be able to pay the price for us. And that's exactly what he did, didn't he? Not with silver and gold, as Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. That's how we were bought, purchased with His blood, washed by Jesus' blood, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. He was able to do that, paying the ultimate price. And Jesus had to be willing And willing he was. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly that I might take it up again. And so Jesus willingly redeemed us 
And He did it publicly, didn't He? He offered His life on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem so all the world could see that He was offering Himself to have a relationship with us. To make us His bride. Paying that awful price of His death. Do you know this Redeemer? Do you know Jesus today? Can you say that you're part of the bride of of Christ? Well, a wedding is a public event. And when Jesus publicly offered His life, we ought to be willing to publicly acknowledge that, right? Unashamed to say that I belong to Jesus. I wear a ring because I'm unashamed to say Unashamed to say that Judy is my wife. And we ought to unashamedly say, Jesus is my Savior. I love Him. I serve Him. I want the world to know that I belong to Him. The second thing we notice, a wedding is not only a public event. A wedding is a life-changing event. A life-changing celebration. Anyone who is married will tell you that a wedding dramatically changes your life, right? At one moment, you were single. The next moment, you're married. And you can say now, this is my wife or this is my husband. The first time I said that, I thought that just seems a little bit weird, didn't it? You got to have that experience where I just said, my, my wife, I'm, I'm married. Then the first time I said my, my daughter or my son, it's like, whoa. And then when I said my grandson or granddaughter, whoo, that really was an amazing experience. Do I look that old to be? Well, Jim Rasmussen is going like this, but I never listen to him. My wife, wow, what a special thing. And your life was, is never the same, right, when... You get married. Think of how Ruth's life changed. She came to Bethlehem as a foreigner and became a a citizen. She came from, would we say, a hopeless situation and, and found great hope. She left Moab in sorrow and is now filled with joy. She was poor and now she was rich marrying Boaz. Almost everything changed. When she was married. Warren Wiersbe says, What wonderful changes came into Ruth's life because she trusted Boaz and let him work on her behalf. She went from loneliness to love, from toil to rest, poverty to wealth, worry to assurance, despair to hope. She was no longer Ruth the Moabitess, for the past was gone, and she was making a new beginning. She was now Ruth the wife of Boaz, a name she was proud of to bear. When we come to know Jesus, that's life-changing, isn't it? When we become the bride of Christ, our life is never the same. Eternally changed. Notice how Scripture describes it. Ephesians chapter 2, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, 
In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at the change that takes place when you come to know Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, what is it? He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. It is a life-changing event. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will never be the same again. That wonderful relationship with Him. A wedding. A life-changing celebration. Third thing we notice, could we say that a wedding is a historic celebration? Is there history in the making when a wedding takes place? When Ruth and Boaz said, I do, it changed the course of history. They didn't know it at the time, but God was going to do something amazing through them in answer to the prayers of the people in Bethlehem. In verse 12, they prayed that the Lord would give them children, and He did. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may His name become famous in Israel. May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Did you notice what the women said to Naomi about the birth of this baby? They said that he was her redeemer. And they also said that he would be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. Now, that's interesting to think of a grandchild in that way, huh? Have you guys thought of that when your grandson or granddaughter was born? Ha, oh, here's my Redeemer. <laughs> Here, here's my restorer of life. Here is the sustainer of my old age, wrapped up in that little baby. I'd have to say I haven't really looked at my grandchildren in that way, but maybe someday, you never know. If Social Security runs out, who knows what uh, grandchildren may do. So what are they saying here? Obed would one day care for the family that brought him into the world, including Grandma Naomi. Boaz had redeemed the family inheritance, and now Obed would continue the family line He would protect the inheritance and he would use it to to sustain Naomi. You can see why Naomi was excited. Ruth met Boaz. Because that didn't just affect Ruth, that affected her as well because the land that was owned by her husband was going to be redeemed and she would be a part of that. 
But there's another way in which this child would be a redeemer, a restorer of life. We see that in verse 17, where we are told that Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So Obed was the grandfather of David. And so the scope here broadens, not just to bring blessing to to Naomi and her family, but to bring blessing to the whole nation, right? Think of David's life. A great man of faith that God used to build the kingdom of Israel. He wrote worship songs. He uh, spent a lifetime gathering wealth for the building of the temple. He uh, had a sling and a sword and a harp and a hymnal. I mean, here was a man that, that God used in a, in a very wonderful way. And so the skull broadens from, from Naomi to, to the nation through, through David. So you know what? When a baby is born, you never know what God will do through that child. Or what God will do through those who will come after him. I've thought about that more as I hold for the first time my my grandchildren, as I did my, my children. Thinking, what am I holding in my arms? What what is what is your plan for this this baby, this this child? Am I holding a teacher, a doctor, a pastor, a missionary, a what? Who knows? And that's what's exciting to think about when you think about passing on to your children the, 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 the heritage of, of a Christian family, who knows what God will do? Maybe for generations to come, blessing the world through a godly son or daughter who raises their family to love and to serve the Lord. The story doesn't end here. Because it goes on for many generations, doesn't it? And it finds its culmination in the Redeemer, in the Restorer of Life. And who is that? That's Jesus. Barry Webb, in his commentary, makes this interesting point. He said, The fact that the baby lies in Naomi's lap rather than Ruth's Grandma's laugh, and is named by the women of Bethlehem rather than by Boaz. Now, how many of you would like to do that? You have your child, and you say, "Okay, well, maybe we should start a start a trend here at, at Grace." When a baby is born, Grandma gets to hold the baby, and the congregation gives the name. Anybody in favor of that? I don't see any hands. Well, that's what happened here. So grandma's holding the baby and the women of Bethlehem named the child. So something, uh, Barry Webb says, something is going on here that the parents could not have predicted and cannot control. (laughs) Interesting. The child has a larger significance than being simply theirs. The baby born in Bethlehem turned out to be the grandfather of King David, and that was only the beginning. The royal line of David continued right through the Old Testament and into the New until it reached its climax in another baby born where? Bethlehem. 
in Matthew chapter 1. And just in case we are too dull to grasp the magnitude of this, Matthew reproduces the last few verses of Ruth there in the genealogy of Christ, Matthew 1, 4 through 6. What happened in Bethlehem? In the days when the judges ruled, what, what were those days like? They were terrible days. What happened in Bethlehem in the days when the judges ruled was small. But it was also big. Very big, he says. So the birth of Obed had an impact on the family and on the nation. But the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem has an impact on the whole world. And the inclusion of a Gentile by the name of Ruth reminds us that Jesus came to redeem people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And there will be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation standing before the throne, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So have you been redeemed? Are you the bride of Jesus? As much as we celebrate when a man and a woman get married, there's a greater reason to celebrate when someone becomes the bride of Jesus. A marriage will change your life for as long as you live, but knowing Jesus changes you for all eternity. And that's the greatest celebration of all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful picture of salvation, redemption, in the marriage of Boaz to Ruth. Thank you for the price he paid and how he was willing to take Ruth to be his wife. And Lord, thank you most of all for the price that you paid, being willing to take us, O oh God, as your bride. And we await that day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we gather and worship and praise you for all eternity. Oh God, we thank you for the love that you showed to us in sending your Son. May that be something we celebrate today, that we embrace, that we rejoice in. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.